Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant, and haven't heard that before, we're in a joint podcast. We're looking at um, Christianityism versus the Gospel in the Gospel Rant, and we're looking at uh, the deeper meaning of I am with you. All of the passages in the Old Testament were God says to his people, I am with you. What do we mean by that? And I think we've been very sloppy and very lazy, and and we have ended up creating something that just doesn't look very biblical at all. So this is a mini-series, and uh, boy, do I have a rant for you today. Please, at the end of it, push back if you if you want, or matter of fact, please just push back. Send me a virtual high-five if you agree, and if you don't agree, send that to me as well, bill at gospel-rant.com. I don't think I can be any clearer on this, and I think, based upon what I'm seeing in, in uh, middle-of-the-road evangelicalism, this should ignite some dialogue or debate. Uh, there should be, I would imagine, people in your group or congregation who disagree with this, and, and maybe many who agree, but please, uh, don't just sit there. Uh, let's get this thing going for our own good, for the, for the well-being of the, of the church here in the United States. Look, we're looking at the passages where God says to someone or some group, I'm with you. And I want us to see this in our context today in the United States in this pandemic of loneliness, uh, the COVID PTSD realm, our corporate longing for being connected and being wanted and and being seen as enough. uh, That's at epidemic levels. And I've been making a contrast between a lot of what's out there now in the name of Christianity and Jesus uh, which really is more, honestly, I, I would ca- categorize it more as kind of a, a, a Jesus-washed deism versus a live Christianity that Jesus embodied, Luke 4, uh, 18, God with us, uh, but God pursuing the broken, the, the losers, the failures. And God with us, not just geographically, but intentionally pursuing, grasping, hugging, being empathetic towards, seeking, establishing real deep relationship, all because of what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, Versus the modern Christianity-ism that looks more like deism that would say, I don't know if we would ever say it, but this is what's implied. I mean, sure, God loves me, quote-unquote. And he's philosophically with me, conditionally, kind of, quote unquote. But because I'm a mess, because I'm flesh, because I've screwed up, I've fallen short of expectations, I really shouldn't expect to experience God's withness until I get to heaven. And, and I hope then, I hope, I uh, can't be sure, but it doesn't make a big difference in my life right now. So look, I just need to lean into religion or lean into my understanding of what's right and wrong and and my effort, my power, and just work harder to do good things. And hopefully, maybe in the in the works I get God's attention. Well, oh my goodness. No wonder we struggle with loneliness in the church. No wonder our relationships are bending under the, the pressure to supply all of our brains cry for more withness. Here's an image. So imagine a cup and a gallon jug, right, sitting next to each other on a table, and each are filled with withness. And the minimum daily requirement of withness for me is four cups. Now, I can always use more. It's not toxic. It's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, forget dopamine. Uh, But four cups, minimum daily requirement. So 
I go for the easy cup. I drink it down. No problem. It doesn't cost me anything. I don't feel ashamed to drink the cup. I mean, it's just really, I'm thinking, topping, topping off my uh, lack of witness. And, you know, it doesn't quite satisfy. So I look at the cup. I, I, tw- I swirl it around, see if there's stuff on the side, you know, that I can drink. And take. You know, I drink the last couple of drops. Then I lick the sides as far as my tongue reaches down, scrape it with a spoon. And I still feel a withness shortage because it only holds a cup and, and I need four cups. And all the while, there's an entire jug of withness available right there. The withness of God that Jesus purchased for us already. It's done 2,000 years ago. And I get it, we're not going to experience it perfectly, but we should experience shots of it uh, more than we do now. That, look, that's my hope. Um, I don't know what your hope is, but that's my hope right now. I mean, ultimate hope is heaven. So the ancient Jews, I'm suggesting, didn't have the modern notion of Christianityism that looks like deism. God with us meant something. It was more than just me being with my microphone or me being with this cup of coffee. It's an impactful relationship. It should be noticeable. I should feel it. It should move me. It should grab my attention and focus and desire. It should motivate me. It should diminish fears. Perfect love cast out fear, right? First John 4.18. It should satiate my loneliness a little or a lot, right? It should make a difference, this withness. Um, there were only 15 cases that I found where God says, I am with you. I'm thinking there's more. By the way, if you have a better list, let me know. I'd be indebted to you. In these verses, I want to invite us to read the phrase, I think, the way the ancients read it. God was with them, so much so that they felt it, they needed to feel it, in some cases due to great fears and, and great turmoil and great violation, but in all cases, they needed to feel it, and, and they might have called it his favor, his calling, his adoption, and it was noticeable. Isaiah 43, oh my goodness, it's up there with, with Romans 8, as far as expressing the love of God. You just can't do this calmly and, uh, and from the, the frontal lobes of our brain. I mean, it is crazy. It's, it's, it's so huge and portrays God in such a, a loving way. And it gives us, by the way, it also gives us an opportunity to clarify God's love, right? And, and this is important. You know, this isn't rose-colored glasses place, not here at Gospel Rant. Uh, you know, what the I am with you is and, and what it is not. It's not indifferent closeness. It's not just something spatial and geographic, though it is that. Uh, no way. It includes that. But it is so much more, and clearly so much more emotional, humanly speaking, of course, right? It is love, 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 like we speak about when, when it is, you know, there's always good and rainbows and sunshine, but it's not love with no pains and no wounds and no hurts and no doubts. All creation groans, Paul says in, in Romans. Remember Barney the Purple Dragon on kids' TV, I love you, you love me, uh, I forget the rest. No, that's not the reflection. That's a partial reflection of the love of God. I mean, God's love is better than that, but it's not just that. God's not a heavenly purple dragon. Thank God. In one sense, this love of God that also endures injustices and pain, from our own human vantage point, 
Come on. We have to admit it's troublesome. I think it's troublesome to look at. And oh my gosh, it's even more troublesome to experience if if you're in the middle of that. And that can lead to people, quote unquote, losing faith, falling from the faith, which I don't think you can do. It can definitely lead lead to cynicism, uh, people leaving their church, uh, stop worshiping God, stop praying. I get all that. Uh, That kind of love that also includes pain can feel sketchy. Uh, but child of God, nothing could be further from the truth because ultimately it's so much better than Barney. When we stand with Jesus, okay, listen to this. This is what I've got. When we stand with Jesus in that great by and by, uh, side by side, his arm around us, we're basking in his love for us and we're feeling it and we're looking back at all the bad things that happened to us, whether we deserved them or we didn't, and it's a combination, I promise I promise you, when we see it clearly, the big picture and the micro picture, we will say that we wouldn't change a thing because now we see that, oh my goodness, it would have been an act of love. It wouldn't have been an act of love to remove me from that pain. Now, I get it. Some of you who are listening to this have endured such pain. That just triggered anger and rage. Uh, I get it. You know, me too. Uh, All I'm saying is, biblically, Revelation says, when we get it, think Job, when we get it, uh, being this witness with God is huge and carries us, more than carries us, through those times. And God's got the rest. Uh, I mean, I can't explain it. I mean, it's way over my pay grade, but God's big enough to, uh, God does his best work with dead things, right? And God is the God of the living and the dead. And God is the loving God of the living and the dead. So much more than than I can put into words or imagine. Okay. Uh, you can push back on that as well. Uh, and, and I get it. I've done it. All right. Context of Isaiah 43. Well, Israel, for just reasons, abominable act of faithfulness, spiritual adultery, high crimes, and misdemeanors of all sorts, is going to be violently violated by a superpower, uh, an empire crushed into non-existence almost, and the bulk of the population violated, kidnapped, murdered, and brought into exile. So these are people who God loves. Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 43 says, past, present, and future. Man, wow. And secondly, God has a plan for his and their glory. And, and their intimacy together, their marriage. But I, even God gets it that, humanly speaking, they're not going to be able to see it. How could they? Uh, no questions there. They're going to feel fear. They're going to feel shame. What have we done? It's our fault. We've fallen short of expectations, self-loathing. They may even externalize. They may go into avoidance. They may uh, right go into hyper-arousal or hypo-arousal. They may just blame others like Babylon. They may, or the leadership, right? The religious leaders. Let's blame the pastor. Uh, A whole mixed bag of normal human midbrain responses. And so God doesn't in Isaiah 43 just wag his finger critically with contempt saying, I told you so, though he could. Right? I warned you. No, he is here like a loving, really adoring parent who is just reminding his wayward child who is going to go through hell that he or, that he still loves them and with all the with all his heart 
Nothing they have done has changed that. Isn't that a great message? He's saying that to Israel on the, on the path to exile. They're going to be disciplined. That doesn't go away. The law is the law. But never, ever will the parent not have their back. Uh, no matter what they do, or no matter what they go through, or the questions they ask, or the doubts they have, the suspicions and cynicisms. Per or one commentator, Matyur, in all, there is God's presence, the with you I am, and we're calling the withness of God, and the Lord's control, meaning he's got this, every bit of it. And there is a divine thus far and no further. There's waters without drowning, fire without burning up, and that's Isaiah 43. Very cool. All right, the structure is a lot of fun if you're a Hebrew language nerd. Uh, there's a section, verses 1 to 7. It's an inclusio, meaning that it's marked with bookends. We can see this as a, if you will, a, a letter that pops out as, as a, a separate category. God is creator, bara. That's the same word used in Genesis 1, only used of God. It speaks of, he started this mess, right? Same word used in verse 7. So verse 1 and 7, the bookends. And, and similarly, God is the shaper of his people uh, in verse 1 and verse 7. So think of a skilled artist who is manually manipulating clay to shape an artistic masterpiece figure, uh, which is maybe a way to see it is it's an intimate form of creating. So there's the broad creation, bara, and then there's an intimate form of bara. Also in this inclusio, verses 1 to 7, there's repetition of some other words and phrases. Do not be afraid, verses 1 and 5. In your stead, uh, speaking of redemption, three times in the middle two verses, 3 and 4. Uh, and uh, the statements were focused on the witness statements in verses 1 and 5. Verse, says, verse 5 says, I'm with you. And verse 1 says, to me are you. Beautiful uh, ways of saying the same thing. It's clearly, I'm going to say, and you can push back, bill at gospel-app.com. It's a love letter, crazy love letter, over-the-top love letter to people who don't deserve it, who haven't, who can make no claim to it. And what we can say about them is they're going to go through hell and they're going to experience anxiety and fears and shame, aloneness. And, and in the terms we're using in the dance, lack of enoughness and, and disconnectedness, all meant, this love letter is meant to encourage those who are going to go through hell, and not everybody, but his children, those people that he created and shaped and has redeemed. And they're going to, they're humans, they're like you and me, they're going to be afraid that God's turned away, right? I mean, I struggle with that, that he's over it with them, uh, and they caused it, it's their fault. Or I guess we could blame God too, that's that's a way to externalize things. So in the presence of over-the-top shame, guilt, fears, anxiety, all normal to the human heart in those contexts. All right, that's the audience. And God is telling them that even though they don't feel his love for a moment or a day or a season, his care, his loyalty, his devotion, his withness, it's there. It's never diminished. Uh, it's never going to change. It's always in his heart. He, he doesn't leave, you'll see. And the creator of the brain, the bara -er of the brain, knows human nature. And look, um, so what's the point? If they're going to be in Babylon, well, 
That's why the prophecy is given. One of the reasons, read Isaiah 50, 43, this section, the verses 1 through 7. Memorize them and read them over and over and preach them to the that critical inner voice. Even when you don't want to, even when you quote-unquote lose faith or, or feel like it's just, no, I don't want to see God again because I, I just can't. I just can't take the judgment and condemnation and criticism and, and you know, shame peaks and self-pity soars. Just keep memorizing and reading and writing Isaiah 43, the first seven verses. So what God is doing is sending a preemptive strike. Here's a tool you can use. It's a preemptive love letter to people who don't deserve it, like me today. And, 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 and in a mess, like so many of us find ourselves in today. I mean, oh my goodness, if this doesn't speak to us and give us some uh, joy, might be over the top, post-COVID. I mean, I think one of the problems we are having all the high crime and the incivility is that we've we've mishandled COVID so badly, we now have PTSD and we can't celebrate the victory and we can't give credit to where credit is due. It's, It's still nitpicking and and people fighting the rights and the wrongs and this side versus that side. Oh, my goodness. And so our brains are just, oh, my gosh, they're just devolving. So love letters like Isaiah 43 are very helpful. Love letters like Romans uh, 8 are, are helpful. Uh, and the, the simple uncluttered gospel that, that we produce on bookmarks, so helpful. And say them to your dissolving brain twice a day. Reminding that critical inner voice, preaching the gospel to your critical inner voice uh, twice a day. And look, stop expecting your prefrontal cortex to carry the load in the, in the middle of such pain and seemingly injustices and, and shame. It doesn't have that kind of muscle group. Brain science is telling us that our prefrontal cortex, where reason and choice and will happens, is the weakest part of the brain. All right, I'm not going to go that direction. Back to Isaiah 43. Verse 1, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. All right, listen to the glory and the passion of God. You know, so before they leave, Isaiah, get this in their hands, get this in the hands of the parents so they can tell the children, get this in the hands of the religious leaders so when they're asked questions, which they will be, where's God, where's God's love? Read them this section and uh, send them home to read it over and over. So now, thus says the Lord, your creator, right? You didn't create yourself. You didn't create me. I created you, O Jacob. Your shaper, your, the one who forms you. Yatsar is the word, O Israel. Do not be afraid. See, on the basis of that, I'm going to tell you why your fear can be challenged by faith. Can be challenged. And I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. To me are you. I love that. And literal in the Hebrew, I mean, nobody would read it this way, but I love it. To me are you. Everyone called with my name and to my glory, I created you. I formed you. Indeed, he says, I made you. I made them. So the words redeemed you and called you by name, that's in the perfect tense. Uh, meaning, uh, this is a, a decent way of, of translating this, that, that this was true in the past, and it continues to be true now, and, and will continue to be true in the future. It have been and still are. And called you by my name. 
oh my goodness. Uh, so this could mean, and this is how I'm going to, to take it at least partially, uh, and you, I, I just want you to see this as an increasing intimacy and, and God being hands-on in their case. There's Barah, uh, and then there's the more intimate shaping, and now the more most intimate called you by name. Uh, Macher in uh, Isaiah commentary said it's, it's a direct personal relationship, the calling by name, involving having a specific plan and place for the one name. So think of exchanging names in marriage where the groom calls you by name now, that level of intimacy, right? It wouldn't surprise me to find that referring to an ancient marriage uh, ceremony in in, uh, in some historical documents. I haven't seen it, but it wouldn't surprise me. So he's saying, I redeemed you in the past and you remained redeemed. So no matter what you feel, you're still redeemed. I called you by your name and you're still called by your name, meaning I married you, so to speak. We're together. And to me, you will always be together. And, and so you were and you still are. So I created you and shaped you to be an object of my love and devotion, and nothing you have done has changed that, or nothing you will do will change that. So whether you repent or don't repent, whether you, quote, leave the faith or don't leave the, the faith, I married you, and to me, you always were and still are. Uh, stunning news to a people who are going to go through hell and feel like likely. And by the way, they did screw up big time, uh, but they're certainly going to feel like it. Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, to me, to me, you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, right? consumed. The flames will not set you ablaze. All right. So notice the movement from general waters and fires to specific and, and more painful rivers and flame. Uh, you're going to go through hell, and everything in your brain is going to tell you you're you're screwed. You you can't be loved by me. I've turned. I've walked away. But it's not true. It's just not true. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and and isn't that what David? Even what the psalmist says in in Psalm 23, verse four. Even though I walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's the do not fear, for you are with me. Isn't that it? Your rod and your staff they comfort me, right? Um, that's a tough thing to say when when you're immersed in injustices, racism, prejudices, <clears throat> all those things that that are thrown at us and or that we cause. Yeah, but but why won't he deal with the flame? Why won't he save me from drowning? That's a horrible way to die. Well, I'm going to talk about it more in a bit of a moment. All right, verse 3. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sheba in your stead. Verse 4. Since you are precious, which is high worth, honorable, uh, a person to be esteemed and honored, you have weight, glory, Kavod, right, dignity, honor in my sight, meaning that's how I see you. And because I love you, literally it's just I love you, I will give men in exchange for you. That's the same uh, phrase as in your stead in verse 3. And people in exchange, same word, for your life. So like verse 1, it's perfect tense, meaning that this was true in the past and continues now and into the future. It has been and still is right? Uh, so you're not going to mess it up. You can't mess it up because I, I shaped it. I created this. What are you going to do? 
decreate something? I don't think so. So, and what he's saying is, I've covered the cost of your rescue. I've paid the price for your crimes out of my own pocket. So, you don't have to. You can't anyway. You don't have pockets deep enough, and it's paid. And historically speaking of probably the demise of Exodus and Babylon, but also looking ahead, we can say, to Jesus's substitutionary atonement, where God himself, Jesus himself, the Spirit himself, pays the price for justice, all the crimes we've committed uh, against God, humanity, and creation, so that we can, without shame, without guilt, without hesitancy and fear, re-experience intimacy with him. Verse 5, do not be afraid. A repeat from 43.1, for I am with you. With you, I is literal. It's fun noticing the two sayings, to me, you, and with you, I. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons, and by the way, daughters, from afar and from the ends of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, again, Barah, like in verse 1, for my glory, whom I formed, Yatsar, and made, Asa. So we get a sense of what's going on. It's for God's glory. Why would he change that? It's for his glory. And saving his people from Babylon is greater glory. Notice in the inclusio, God's taking responsibility. He created this mess. He hasn't changed his plan. His heart hasn't changed. They are his, and his love is theirs. Uh, he is theirs, and, and they are his. And he'll do it. He, he has and will redeem. He, he has and will cover injustices. He has and will forgive and bring them back to his loving arms. At the end of the history of God and God's people, that's what we'll read. That's the last chapter. That's his commitment. Uh, and it doesn't require yours. Thank God. All right, so let me remix uh, the uh, the segment. And uh, this is in broader language modernization, so uh, forgive me. Now, says the Lord, I need you to listen to me for a moment. Why? Because I created you, Jacob. I shaped you, Israel. That's my credentials, so shut up and listen. I want you to know our marriage is and always will be good. I redeemed you long ago, and that has not, nor will it ever change. I made marriage vows to you a long time ago, and that will never change either. To me, you always are. I am husband, you are wife. That will not change. Now, you need to know this separation is not going to be easy at all. But you need to know when you go through what feels like you are drowning, I'm right there with you. Not distant, not indifferent. My hands are all over you. I've got you. When it feels like you're being painfully consumed, I'm right there too. I'm not going anywhere. I've got your back. You have to know that in the end, there will be greater glory. Verse 3, remember, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am the one who saves you again and again. There's no price that I will not pay to get you back in my arms. In fact, I've already paid it. Count on it. Why? I know this is hard for you to understand because this kind of love is alien to humanity after the fall. But in my eyes, you and all of your failures have great worth and beauty still, even glory. I see it. I love you. And I have deep pockets. I will get you back. I will cover any costs of your rescue. You don't have pockets deep enough. So why would you be afraid? Other than the brain, and which I created, with you, I am always. 
I will gather you from the ends of the earth. That's also on me. Why? Well, to repeat myself, I created you. I shaped you. I made you. Close quotes. Okay. Wow. Oh, my goodness. But from Israel's point of view, come on, to be honest, um, not rose-colored glassed, a horde of barbarians, professional soldiers and mercenaries, vicious will fall upon them and devastate their land and properties and lives and country and temples and cities. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. They're going to lose. It's going to be devastating. So, God, come on. I don't understand. I don't know what your love is all about, but I'm not sure I want it. And would we even call this love? How could that be love? I mean, wouldn't love be you interfering and saving us? Yeah. In our love, in our our definitions, humanly speaking, we have to be troubled by this to some degree. It's wonderful and troubling, like much of Scripture. I get, I get it. We should feel that concern. And it would be perfectly normal to question the love of God, humanly speaking. Are you with me? Not the, the Bible doesn't, but humanly speaking, our brains will, in the middle of feeling like we're being mistreated and tortured unfairly, and there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, my goodness. And honestly, it's impossible for the human brain in injustices and abuses and, and such pains to even come close to see or feel whatever kind of love this might be, right? Or, or be comfortable with it, right? I'm with you on that. So the fires, in the fires, in the waters... Uh, cry out, abused one, right? Cry out to God, by the way. Um, He said it's on him, so we take that seriously. Question things aloud, boldly. Job did. Challenge the heavens. I use Psalm 88. Uh, That's my psalm, and I'm I'm giving you permission to use it. I have used it walking around neighborhoods for hours, saying that sometimes loud and angry to God. Uh, It's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, Eugene Peterson taught me how to do that uh, in his class, and oh my goodness. Look, denial's not our friend. But at the same time, let passages like Romans 8 and Isaiah 43, this one, wash over the wounds. Uh, In addition to Psalm 88, say Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 7. I mean, there's going to be some strangeness there, but do it. Even when you can't believe the words are true or true for you, let the Spirit who is intimately both in your inner being and intimately in love with you as you are, with all the love in the universe, make you see, make you feel, make you know beyond human knowability that something ultimately great is happening and is going to happen. And that in the end, it's love. Um, and, and, and may the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to make you feel loved in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the agony, in the middle of the, uh, the abuse, the racism, in the violations of humanity. By the way, I think Isaiah 43 is a great picture of what the Holy Spirit is saying to your uh, midbrain. And he's, he's in the inner being, wherever that is, of each and every Christian. And I, I think it's a great image of what he's representing himself as. So, what we're saying is, within the broader boundaries of God's love, his vast height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ, is also wrath and and curses. So, there's grace and blessings, but there's also wrath and curses. And somehow, over my pay grade, 
Uh, they all work together for a greater undisclosed and often, most often, a distant good. But always in the end, right? Always, when this is happening, it's got to be confusing to us. Faith says, it is, but my midbrain says, why well, don't know. So revelation reveals, and faith, which also comes from the Holy Spirit within our inner being, grasped beyond reason that in the end, something spectacular is going to happen, but it's unknowable now. It really is, and troubling now. And it's happening in the hands and control of the God who creates and forms and redeems. And it's only conceivable, the goodness is only conceivable, that's a better way of saying it, if the creator of the God, if the creator of the universe is involved. I mean, intimately involved and unchangingly involved, like he's not trying to figure this out. And so David in Psalm 34 could say that many are the troubles of the righteous, meaning if you're in relationship with God and if he is in relationship with you, right? If, in your, if you're in good standing with God, and Israel wasn't at the time, but even if you're in good standing with God, you should expect troubles, not just troubles, but many troubles, right? I hate that. But, I mean, not indiscriminate evils, because God's there, right? Not indiscriminate, uh, non-purposeful abuse, though 100% of the time, at least in, I would testify it feels like it. That's what my critical inner voice in my head says. But the troubles are in an overarching good plan of God for me. And the example I can put forward for you to consider is think of Jesus on the cross. Perfect relationship with the Father. Absolutely loved. And yet, he endured the greatest of all sufferings. Ending in the greatest of all good for so many people, including me and probably you. Welcome to the family, Christian. Um, yeah, it's disturbing and wonderful, all at the same time as much of Scripture. And so, today, we can say, strictly because of what Jesus did for you, Christian, 2,000 years ago, God adores you. And that has never changed, and it will never change, ever. But something uh, will probably feel, sometimes, that he is disappointed in you, but it can't be true. And disgusted with you, same, and has pulled back, same. Can't be true. Uh, and by the way, true, let me, let me say this to, to critics, <clears throat> he, he was more disappointed in what you did or said or didn't do or didn't say uh, and, and how you loved him back. Matter of fact, he was 100% disappointed 100% of the times in your actions and thoughts and motivations. But he was never, ever, ever disappointed in you since Jesus took all of your disappointments uh, the, his disappointments in you on his shoulders, and it is done. That was the final shaping. It's finished, right? So he can't be disappointed in you again. And if we can only wrap our heads around that, surely that's going to require an ongoing miracle of the Spirit to make me get, because my human relationships don't reflect that. And two-thirds of Christians, humanly speaking, fear that when they see Jesus face-to-face, -face, he will be disappointed in them. But no, not true. Can't be if the cross means anything. Think about it. If in whatever pain and loss and injustice you might be in, if you had the capacity to hear God and the critical inner voice wasn't somehow putting up boundaries, uh, and if, if the critical inner voice would just shut up, what you would hear would be something like this. You would hear this. This is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased strictly because of what Jesus did in your behalf, but it's already yours.
Uh, I've talked to so many Christians who just hope that at the end of the life, God would say that to them. And I go, well, your, your greatest hope is, is answered. God will say that because Jesus. Hard to hear, hard to under, harder to understand, and many people just can't handle that. I get it. Pastors, ministers, and teachers, why can't we be clear about it? Why do we hesitate? Anything less than that is a form of paganism and uh, deism and Christianityism. We need to be clear because people are hurting. I mean, so hopefully we're beginning to make clear when we read I am with you in your Bible, it should feel like a statement of God's devotion, an assurance of his love and adoration for you as you are, uh, not as you should be or could be. It includes contractual commitment like a marriage, but it is so much more. It also includes the intimacy of a marriage. Uh, take a look at Song of Song and, and my first book co-authored with Colleen Pepper called The Kiss, uh, The Kiss of God. Uh, his love for you is permanent. Jesus purchased it. It can't not be. And though I understand your critical inner voice is going to fight against that and our beat up and traumatized subconscious and all of us in this creation that's groaning, and it wants to make us believe that 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 love of God, the witness of God is conditional. You know, I'm with you until dot, dot, dot. I'm with you as long as you dot, dot, dot. Well, I'm with Billy Graham, but nah, you not so much. Or, well, I'm kind of with you. I'd be more with you if only you would blank dot, dot, dot. No, I'm with you means he has created this. He is called. He is redeemed. He's going to drag us from... Wherever we're adulterating our faith, he's going to bring us home, and we will in the end be loved. Psalm 43, remember the context, is written to abysmal faith failures. The unfaithful of the unfaithful. The three strikers, I mean, you can't get a cleaner picture of this than, than Israel of that era. They had turned away from God boldly. If God says this to them pre-cross, imagine what he can say to you and is saying to you and is feeling towards you. Look, I'm begging you, if this is just beginning to sink in, or you know what, even if it's troubling you, run, don't walk, and sign up for The Dance, the-dance.org. We made it for you. It's, it's going to make a difference. It is going to make a difference. And if you want to get a shot of this withness, if you want to see it in a different way, and just it'll only cost you 90 minutes and, and a little bit of cash, not much, a fraction of a counseling visit, there's no better place than the dance. Check it out. And by the way, it's satisfaction guaranteed, so there's zero risk, just 90 minutes. And we mean it. All right. We brought up a lot of stuff in this podcast, probably stuff that, that some of you would feel troubled by and want to push back. I'm asking you to pass it around. Get the conversation going. Let's get the debate started. I mean, I, I, I'll, poke the, I'll poke the bear. Uh, and here's the first discussion and dialogue starter. After listening to the podcast, push back. That's all you have to say. What do you think? There we go. There's your first dialogue question. Maybe that's the only one you need. And please let me know what you're thinking. Bill at gospel-rant.com. I mean, I've said my piece. Say yours. Maybe you want me to come to, to your group or church. I would love to do that. We can do a, a, a day. We can do a, a Sunday. We can do a weekend conference. Love to chat about that as well. But look, in this lonely and incivil time post-COVID, this gospel that we're talking about, the witness of God through Christ, this simple and cluttered gospel, I'm telling you, would be welcomed to a lot of people. Um, your church might grow. How about that? So have fun. 
Blame me or better blame Isaiah. And we'll see you in the next gospel rant or haven't heard that before. Take heart, child of God. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015 and every single day of the week I read one chapter of scripture then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.